This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Yoda, assalamualaikum. Welcome to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. Um, I'm super excited to be sitting down and having a chat with y'all. Um, this episode will just be me. Um, so sit down and grab a cup of tea. And um, yeah, this episode I'd really love to kind of dive into identity and culture and what are the misconceptions or what are the things that we're getting wrong about it and listen this is just my two cents <laughs> this is just my opinion and of course I'm open to being to being challenged and for us to keep the corridor going and to, to learn and connect because again this is just my opinion but it's just things that I I personally have been unlearning when it comes to identity and culture and you know as I've been unlearning it's really helped with solidifying my sense of who I am and my identity and you know the things that I will you know the different co-puppers that I'll get behind and um, how I think about the world and interact with the world um these five things um yeah things that I have been personally unlearning or really trying to be mindful of um when interacting with the world and yeah it's made a really big difference and something that I didn't even realize you know just those things that are just completely embedded and so embedded it's just entirely invisible to you and then it's kind of brought to the surface and you're like I actually can't unsee it and I'm just always thinking about it like these five things are kind of truths that you've probably heard already or you know it's, it's nothing revolutionary and new but it's yeah not until it's kind of brought up to the surface for you and then you're like whoa oh my gosh this is um you know this is always in my periphery and um it's just kind of slowly shaping um your decisions and how you think and and where you go and um the reason why I think it's really important that we talk about well what actually is it that we're getting wrong or maybe we should rethink when we're talking about identity and culture is that you know life is this huge diagram of you know, identity and belonging and the the trauma that we carry, the lived experience that we have, our interactions with the world, you know, our, who we are is kind of a Venn diagram of all these things. And I'm sure there's much more that you can add to the list. And, you know, how, how we show up affects how we then show up for, um, social change, how we show up for different co-puppers, how we show up to um, be an ally, how we show up to show solidarity. And so, you know, it's something that I have said on the show before. It's not until you really deep dive into who you are as a person, then you get to, you know, expand your worldview and expand how you think about other people um but I think when we think about identity and culture it's always 
I don't think we have a conversation that kind of honors exactly how important it is and I hope these next five things um you know you can mull over and allow it to ferment and just see what comes up for you um yeah but these five things have really helped me rethink um I who I am as a person and culture and the influence that it has on me um so yeah, let's let's dive deep into it. So the first thing that I have on the list is what we're getting wrong about culture specifically is um, having this idea that culture can't change. And I I specifically remember when I had this like whoa moment. Um, I was reading this paper by the amazing. Um, Epili Hau Ofa, um, a Pacific scholar, and um, yeah, his his readings was part of part of the readings for the trimester, and you know, in one of the readings, he is talking about um, redefining Oceania in an academic sense and kind of encouraging the academic world and inviting them to rethink um you know the connotations um to think about the land and the water and the people um related to that term um Oceania and um Epille brings out this really really interesting point that there actually is a big distinction between culture and tradition and you know the connotations of tradition is that it is it, it doesn't move it is a practice that has been held for a really really long time and and yeah the two terms culture and tradition are used interchangeably but they actually hold very different meanings um so yeah as i was saying before um, tradition kind of has this connotation of fi- being fixed and you know the definition is um, customs and beliefs and practices that have been passed on generation to generation and traditions make up part of the culture but the culture isn't 100% defined by the traditions if you're understanding what I'm meaning because the definition of culture is simply just you know the attitudes and the behavior characteristics of a particular social group you know the the ideas and the customs and the social behavior of a particular people or society um so traditions make up or contribute to that culture um but there's a a lot more that kind of adds up to to culture and so yeah tradition has this connotation of being fixed and culture is is simply defined um uh, attitudes and and behavior and a way of life for a particular community or society or a group of people and the way that we have evolved and changed and grown over the years is because this culture has developed and it has changed and you know even if I'm just speaking from a personal point of view um in Somalia there uh even the language has is different um you know people from not entirely different but you know how there's different dialects and so sometimes 
you know, people from the north will have different words for the same thing um, to people from the south. And so there's not automatically that 100% um, understanding of each other because cultures have evolved and 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 not only is the language is just one specific example of that change, but, you know, even within a group that has the same label um, or identity, the shared identity rather of being Somali, you know, that culture has changed and evolved. And um, that culture, like we wouldn't be where we are today if our culture hasn't changed or evolved. Um, and maybe this is more specific to the migrant diasporic community Um but when it was kind of that distinction was really set out for me, it really blew my mind because you know the way that culture and tradition have been used interexchangeably, um, it gave me this idea that I'm betraying my culture or tradition um, by me being who I am. I think personally for me, this is something that I'm, learning to to be okay with but you know growing up here in New Zealand there are some things that I that mean that I think quite differently to you know my parents or you know if I was to go back home to the motherland I think my worldview would be um it would be different and and so I suppose as you know, people like me go on to have their own kids and then generations and generations to come in the future in a way that will form its own culture and and then we can still have those traditions as well that we can pass on. Um, but the culture is changing or, or will change and that change doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing and there's no... They're like there shouldn't I feel like there shouldn't be any guilt put behind that or um or shame centered around that change um I think change or just even on a personal level is pretty scary <laughs> it's pretty scary, and I can totally understand why we are averse to it um and there are those hesitations around it but culture can change and you can still have space for that growth and that change and still have space for those traditions that have been passed on like like a special gift like taonga and it's an honor to keep on passing on those traditions but room for culture and tradition can be there and both um have very special spaces and both are very very important and you couldn't have one without the other but I think when we're talking about culture especially in relation to identity I think what we're getting wrong is that we're not making or not emphasizing the distinction between culture and tradition um, and when we use it interexchangeably it actually kind of undermines that ability or that capacity to change and to grow and I think why I'm bringing this point up is that you know as we are now living in a world where 
we are living together more. I mean, whether we like it or not, we are living together more and globalization is a thing and migration is a thing. And, you know, there are all these pressing, oppressing, sorry, issues. And I think it's just like this pressure cooker and, you know, we because we're living in this pressure cooker, we're going to have to learn how to live with each other and we're going to have to learn how to be allies and we're going to have to learn how to fight climate change and we're going to have to fight all the isms together so we can live in a very um, equitable and society and one that's led by empathy and care and justice. And I think for that to happen we will have to relook um or have honest conversations about culture and what does that look like and and what will have to change and you know where our where are our traditions amongst this all and um it's a huge conversation but i think yeah we've just never really collectively been given that permission to just um to just be okay with that um, ability to change. Because um, tradition, or especially for me, tradition and culture were just used so interexchangeably. Um, you know, when, whenever, especially when I was younger, I would ask questions and kind of ask, you know, why do we do this? Why do we do that? And the the thing, even if people didn't directly say it, I could kind of see that it was at the tip of their tongues or they were kind of um, nudging to it was, oh, wow, you've really let go of your culture. <laughs> you've really um, lost everything and you have become a Kiwi. Um, and... And even though it was never, oh yeah, it wasn't directly said um, often, it's something that made me feel really bad. <laughs> I felt really, really bad about who I was. And, and I think thinking back to when I was a teenager, I think a lot of this, well, a lot of it, oh, well, there was already that baseline of being a teenager and having that angst and all the emotions and feels about your who you are and um, your place in the world all that kind of thing but I think what added to that particularly as a migrant woman um, was this idea that I was betraying something and culture can't change and if I can't fit into that then you know there's something wrong with me you know who I am as a person and you know ever since I kind of came across that reading by um Epele, I was like oh my god actually you know change is something that has come before me it will come after me um the world demands change and that is how we get to where we are now and it has given me this this courage to to be okay with that and and instead of thinking that there's something inherently wrong with me um it's created the safe space to kind of explore you know what is that culture and what are the values and what is this new way of life and what does this mean to me and to have that honest conversation um and I think as a collective you know these are the more of the kind of conversations that we will need if we kind of want to move to that world where it is very equitable um 
and led by justice. Okay, so the next thing that I have on the list, or the next thing that I think that we're getting wrong about identity and culture, is not talking about our trauma enough. I think when we're generally talking about our identity, we talk about it in the sense of, you know, our whakapapa and um, the lands that we belong to and, you know, the values that we hold close. And, you know, I think we all have this understanding that our trauma and our lived experiences and, you know, biases and all of that kind of stuff feed into who we are as a person enough. But I, I really don't think we put enough emphasis on trauma and how that influences or frames how we a view ourselves and then how b that flows onto how we view the world um i yeah i just don't think we talk about it enough and another thing that i think we don't talk about enough is not just our the personal traumas that we all carry um but the intergenerational trauma as well for example, if we're just talking about, yeah, I'd love to provide an example just to help contextualize things when I'm talking about how um, personal trauma can, has a relation to, you know, your identity and, and then that has a relation to um, like who you are as an activist, I suppose, or like, you know, how it um, influences your ability to to show up um, for particular conversations, for particular co-puppers, um, how you show up for social change. And I suppose this is a, a kind of personal example, and I won't mention names um, at all, but this is something that I specifically see in my community a lot, the um, Somali community so you know the history of Somalia the past uh, 20 to 30 years um, it's been really hard we've you know gone through civil war and famine and not having a functioning government for decades um, and it's only recently the past couple of years where the government has tried to establish itself but because unfortunately it has been so long um, other groups have you know already taken charge and so there's um, a lot of fighting still and bombings and and attacks trying to you know in, in fighting to figure out who who has the control really and and so that has meant over the past 20 to 30 years um, as a country we've dealt with um, huge loss of life and um, people moving all across the world um, to seek refuge and find safety and, and build new homes and dreams. Um, and, you know, with all of that trauma, there is, um, there, yeah, with all of those events, there is a lot of trauma. And something that I've specifically or particularly noticed in um, the Somali, like, migrant slash refugee slash diasporic um, community is that, you know, because of all of this um, trauma and all of these um really traumatic events that have happened um in our history that are 
you know, and history in a sense that it's alive because it is affecting our present day. Um, there is this, um, the you know, because how you interact and process your trauma, um, dep- you know, will entirely influence how you see yourself and and how you interact with that trauma. And you know, sometimes that trauma has meant that it's led to this um, I feel like I need to choose my words carefully here but because of this trauma um, I think what I've what I've noticed I'm not saying that this is everyone but what I've noticed is this um, well there's I've I've been wrongly done so many times in in so many different ways that there's um there's no wrong that I can do and there's no um like there's nothing is going to change like I'm there's no wrong I can do and I'm, I'm this is this is it this is where we're at is is where we're at and and so because of how this trauma has been processed and then this is how it's sitting when it comes to having conversations about you know feminism or like you know even open conversations about the religion and all these other types of things um are harder to have because you know when you do have those difficult conversations um then and you then have to kind of evaluate what your activity or what your involvement, whether it's unconscious or conscious or whether it's um, something that, you know, you've been aware of. Um, you know, I don't want to put fault on anyone. Um, but you, when you are having those convers- conversations about what it means to be an ally, um you have to, you know, then have honest conversations about your involvement so far. And, and, and that's already a hard conversation, but, you know, it's kind of a conversation that often um, lends to, you know, assigning blame. And if there's this attitude that I can do no wrong because I've been so hard done by in life, there's just really no room to have conversations about stuff like that. And, yeah, it's just something that I've personally um, noticed in the Somali community. And it's just one example of many. Um, but, you know, how you interact with your trauma, how you process it influences how you see yourself, how you interact with the world. And then therefore that influences, you know, how you can really show up. And so it's really important, I think, not only to, you know, find out or figure out or have get strong connections with your whakapapa and your whenua and your values. It's also really important to find, you know, to find that um, compassion and that courage to to bring that same energy to the harder things, to the dark things, um, the heavy things, because that has just as much influence on who we are as a person. Um, 
yeah that definitely influences who we are as a person and it's it's important but it's important to do that safely and it's important to um it's important to do that with um someone you trust and sometimes that will look like you know having to go to to therapy um you know i've been going to therapy a lot this year actually and it's been so so helpful and one thing that i've noticed um you know, retrospectively noticed i think um especially when i was like a teenager it was i was so caught up with you know the the lack of privilege that i had or the fact that i was like a black muslim girl that there, there was no way i could have um any other privilege in in any other space i think the trauma of of racism and islamophobia just meant well there's just no other way like i'm i'm always the one who is being hurt or missing out there's just no way that i could not be that in other spaces or in other ways and you know thank goodness that i have obviously still a journey that i'm going on but thank goodness i've kind of made peace um and made blessings with with that trauma and so you know now I've been able to see through the fact that actually yes my my trauma is valid but you know there are other ways and spaces that I do have that privilege and I do have a responsibility to um to own that and to own that in the sense that by acknowledging yes I do have this privilege and then being able to pick it up in a way that then I can then use that to reach out my hand and and help out um and be an ally but there was just no way I would have ever recognized that if I didn't kind of work through that trauma I just my trauma didn't allow me to have that um idea of myself and that idea of my identity where I could be open about then I suppose that kind of um is in a similar vein to that example of the Somali community that I was giving before but um yeah it's really important to um process your trauma and not just um on an individual sense I think um inter intergenerational trauma is a really big thing um that we don't talk about enough as well and you know it's really hard work it's you're breaking a chain that has come from generations and generations and and has been passed down but again you know and this kind of goes in the sense of as in from an individual yes there's there's that level of dealing with your own trauma trauma sorry and then there's that next level of of a collective trauma um and if we want to talk about the relationship between um, activism and then that collective trauma, um, it's often those who are um, using their voices the most or the loudest um, in their activist space are often the ones that are holding um, most of that collective trauma as well. And I think we should be talking about well, as a collective how do we create avenues um for healing and talking and acknowledging and growing from that and so and i think it's something that's just that's not happening enough now and that's not being acknowledged but 
yeah there's a there's a big relationship between our trauma and then our identity and culture um, and then how that um, feeds into our activism the next thing that I would like to talk about or yeah the next thing that are, that's on the list um, and something that I think that we get wrong is that um, your identity or there's this idea that you know your identity is predetermined for you and I fully think that we have the ability to choose we we have the ability to choose who we are as a person and this is not to invalidate the you know the people that have come before us it's not to invalidate our experience and our interactions with the world um but you know at the end of the day I feel like we do have that ability to choose who we are um, you know, I've heard many stories of people who, you know, once they've given themselves permission to step outside of the bounds of, you know, what they have been taught or what they think they know of the world and to have an open interrogation of that and to, and to be able to, ha- to have that, um, honest conversation it's led to this beautiful space where it's like okay I can acknowledge all the things that have come before me I can acknowledge um my lived experience and you know at the end of the day this is how I want to show up in the world this is who I am this is important to me and this is you know this is my culture and this is um how I represent it and and how I choose to live those values and and to live that culture and um and I think again I'll just provide example from my own life just to help kind of contextualize that um you know I have spoken about my background before on the show the fact that I'm a Somali girl who's lived in New Zealand um you know ever since I was two years old and um, I'm a Muslim and I always felt this especially growing up this really I just felt like I all these different identities that I had was pulling on each limb um, very hard very strongly and at different directions and it just kind of got to the point where it just felt like you know I was being pulled from all these different directions you know what else is there like what else can give I will I will literally be pulled apart by this tension um and I and then you know that pressure for me in my head just meant that I like you know people like me who have grown up in you know in a in different in cultures and and countries and embodying many different identities and cultures in the same human um you know it made me feel like oh maybe this shouldn't be okay or maybe I should pick one because you know growing up it felt like this Somali culture and the New Zealand culture could just never ever mix and you know it either had to be one of the two um yeah it either had to be one of the two and I think even now 
as a grown woman, you know, I'm not saying that things are perfect. <laughs> There's still a really long way to go, but I can definitely acknowledge with where I currently am that yes, you know, there are some elements of the Somali culture and New Zealand culture that will never mix. And that's actually okay because, you know, for me, I can choose the best bits and choose the bits that really resonate with me and and that is how I be um and that is how I be and I think that's that is a-okay um that is okay for me to be like that and there's nothing inherently wrong with that and I'm okay how I am and how I choose to be um but we shouldn't you know, if you're put in positions where you feel like, you know, you're either, you have to be either in or out, um, there's no having just one foot in the door, you know, we actually can have one foot in the door if we want to and, and have our foot in another, another place and our heart in another place and, you know, we can, we can choose, um, we can choose who we are as you know who we want to be as an individual and our identity and sense of belonging we actually have that agency I feel like the way that we talk about identity and belonging and culture is a lot of it is predetermined and um you either you know you're born into it and you just have to learn how to fit in um but actually we have the ability to choose and and that's a okay to be able to choose and on this note I just want to be kind of put a disclaimer out there is that yes we can choose um who we are as people but we also have to be really real with our um set of privileges and our acknowledging you know where we've come from it's you know you still have to be able to acknowledge who you come from and be comfortable with saying you know these are my these are my privileges um but you still have that ability to choose who you are and yeah I've in in my lifetime I've heard so many stories um of people saying you know I felt like I always had to be xyz because of how I grew up and this is how things are in my culture and this is you know people from all walks of life and you know there's I feel like there's a common feeling in the human experience this feeling of I don't know if I um fit in or not but I I truly believe we we have that ability um to choose who we are but this choosing of who we are I think genuinely and honestly comes from when we are honest with ourselves first you know you have to be honest with yourself first you have to um, really sit with your papa. you really have to sit with your, um, you know, the places and the people that you belong to and the communities that you belong to, you have to honestly sit with your biases, you honestly have to sit with your privileges, you honestly have to sit with your lived experience, um, you know, you have to honestly sit with all of these things and I think once you are honest with yourself um, and you and you give yourself that permission and you are courageous and choose to be vulnerable then heck yes you have the ability to choose who you are um 
as a person and and what is it that's actually important to you and um, what will you put your hands up for what will you um, or who will you give your solidarity and your and your love to um, what will you fight for um, what values are near and dear and important to you and again these things can only come from you know when you have that conversation with yourself about who who you are and you know when you are thinking it's a daunting question it's a really really big question um but it's not until you honestly interrogate those things can you answer that question and that answer can come from yourself and you can pick and choose um there's no need to feel like you have to you just have to follow the status quo because you can choose who you are um, as a as a human being. Um, the next thing that is on my list is, and this is more, I suppose, well, has become more relevant as the internet has become bigger. But the internet is part of your culture, and and I think the reason why I wanted to include this on the list is when. You know, I think when we talk about culture, I don't think we actually acknowledge that maybe we should consider the internet and social media as a part of that culture. Like, of course, um, you know, language and culture and food and arts and your your fucker papa, all these types of things feed into your culture. But I don't think we we can no longer deny the existence and the presence that um, social media and just the internet in general have on our culture and who we, you know, the role that it plays in who we are as individuals. Um, You know, it's gotten to the point where the algorithm has become, I suppose, not like a, a monster, but it's just accelerated at a rate so quickly where it's now your algorithm is fueled by your interests and what you like and it will amplify that and so you know when you're on the internet it's really easy to think oh well this is just how everybody else in the world thinks and you know that is clearly not the case um but it's just the way the algorithm has become and the way that it's been um set up and that is kind of scary when you think about the fact that actually a lot of us do spend a lot of our lives on our phone um and it's been actually, it's, I, it hasn't on purpose been a social experiment, but I've always been an Android girl. And then, well, not recently. I've, I've had, um, I've, it's just not the latest iPhones. They've always been secondhand. It's always belonged to someone else, which I love. Um, and I would love to keep it that way as well. Um, but I've had, you know, an iPhone for about two to three years now and it's so silly because I'm just not a tech gal but I've only recently realized like the whole screen time thing and ever since I've noticed my screen time I've just been so mindful of 
how much I actually am on my phone. And the past couple of weeks, um, my daily average has been going down. I get a notification every Monday that tells me my av- like my average screen time on my phone and if it's gone, you know, how much it's gone up or down um, by a certain percentage every week. In the past couple of weeks, um, you know, the percentages have been going down, which has been amazing. And I've noticed that as I've... Um, taking oh as I've been using less time on the internet it just actually how much more room it has created um just for my own agency like I and I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing because I think you know I have been pretty particular about who it is that I follow on social media so you know I only really see content um, that I want to see from people who are you know always or people or um, organizations that always give me food for thought but the reliance I think I've just really since I've been on my phone less it's just made me realize the reliance that I've had um, on the internet and social media and even though you know it's it's not necessarily been the worst influence um, you know because as I was saying before I am pretty particular but it, I just had no idea how much I had relied on the internet and again I'm not saying that it's a bad thing I think the internet has done many wonders um, for 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 us and it's been able to connect people together and it's been able to create um lots of safe places um for for people and has bridged together many communities um and you know because if i'm just thinking about the internet now i think what's happening over in iran with um women protesting and the you know the internet and and the media being very careful about what what story is being told but you know thanks to the internet we've been able to see the real truth as to what's happening Um, and that would have never ever happened if we just um, entirely relied on traditional media forms but um, you know, it's actually quite, it was quite scary for me to realize the reliance that I had on the internet and how much, you know, that reliance led to trust and I, I really contributed a lot to how I think about things. And I've noticed that, you know, now that I'm taking less time, that reliance has kind of been transferred back to me. And Again, I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing in the world, but when we think about the threat of misinformation, when we think about, you know, the rise of um, extremist thoughts that have um, been enabled on the internet, and when I think about the fact that the internet is an open space, it's really overwhelming. It's hard to pick out the truth and if somehow your algorithm is set and so you just see all of these things, it's like a horror echo chamber that you're kind of just stuck in. Um, And I'm not saying that everyone's experience of the internet is like this, but I think it's something that we definitely have to be careful of because I think you know even if your algorithm um, doesn't invite those extreme 
views to come in you know i think it's it's in all of our algorithms it's in all of our internet experience it's in all of our social media like the normalization of like white supremacy for example and it's something that if unless you're aware of it you know how can you fight back on something if you're not aware of it to begin with and um you know just how we normalize certain you know certain things are normalized on the internet um and it's not until you kind of step away from it that you're kind of just like oh well that's actually a really ableist thing to just um to accept or that's actually a really harmful to you know um a tongue to whenua like there are just ever since i've taken or slowly trying to take a step back from the internet and then i kind of venture back into it it's like because that realization um or sorry that um reliance has been transferred back to me i've just been able to wake up I feel like and notice these things that I just hadn't noticed before and you know even though when we think when we talk about culture we don't always talk about the internet as part of that um it is a part of our culture and because it's a part of our culture it feeds into who we are so if you are you know trying to figure out who you are as a person then I think it's really important to be critical of the internet be aware of what it is that you're interacting with what does it mean um it's important to interrogate it's okay to be on the internet and be on social media there is a lot of value there but I think it should never get to that point where that reliance is then put onto the internet when it should always be with us um and that, you know, when the reliance is on us, we then have the ability and the power to be like, okay, what does this piece of information mean to me? How am I going to process it? How am I going to interact with it? Um, what is it telling me? But, you know, when that reliance is kind of transferred over to the internet, um, the opportunity to have those kind of conversations I don't quite exist Um and I think it's really important that we we talk about that um, and acknowledge that when we are talking about identity um, and culture. And the last thing that I want to talk about um, when we're talking about, well, what is it that we're getting wrong about identity and culture is that who you are doesn't have to be a united front and what I mean when I say that is that um you know especially when we're talking about the things that um I have been talking about or just yeah talking the previous things on the on the list is that it sounds like you have to have had all of these things figured out before you can claim your identity and be like, yes, this is who I am. And in reality, it is, it is messy. <laughs> it is messy. It is lots of little patches that have kind of been stitched together to make the to make up the fabric of who you are and so yes the one-year-old version of yourself is you know as I said before it's a live history it's not something that is in the past you know she dead and gone 
I mean, she's still there. <laughs> um, maybe not as loud, as quiet, but, you know, she's still there. You know, all the ages that have come before this current day version of yourself. You know, the version of you that was victimized or traumatized or, you know, that version of you that um, was um, really wrong about a particular thing. That is still who you are now. It is a part of the patchwork of your identity. And I'm not saying that it has to be in the driver's seat. Um, It doesn't have to be excused away it doesn't have to be ignored or dismissed because it's still there and it's just a part of who you are now like I I truly do believe that you know all past versions of ourself have led to exactly who we are today and where we are today and even the things that you think are really ugly about yourself or the really difficult things the things that make you feel embarrassed or shamed or you know the th- the parts about yourself where you're like yep I really made a mistake and I was re- or I was really really wrong about this um you know they still hold value and I think this is something that my therapist has told me um and it's really helped. I mean, she said it in a different context, but she was like, you know, all these things that we think are bad things and that we need to get rid of, there's actually no need to get rid of them because they do have their value or they have taught you something in one way or another. They have served you, it has protected you or, you know, it has taught you something. Um, and so and rather than trying to get rid of it, um, it's it's more about learning how to um, interact with it, how to process it, um, and how to safely weave it into the fabric of of who you are. And and so we're not going to be this smooth person who's just like, yeah, um, I'm. And, you know, the values that I hold very dear to me is, you know, blah, 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 X, Y, Z. And this is who I am. And who I am is da, 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 da. Um, And not kind of acknowledging the versions of you that have come beforehand. Um, You know, there's, there's no need that for it to be a smooth, united front and I think this united front is something that comes up a lot um not just when we're talking about identity and culture but when we're talking about social change or activism you know there's this idea that if we want to um bring about that change then we need to be um a united front and I think that sounds amazing that sounds amazing on paper but I think it's it's honestly, it's too idealistic and we need to create room for the fact that, you know, there will be those differences. There will be those like ugly parts that you just kind of wish that you could, um, that could not be there, but actually they have served a purpose. They have taught you something and it is really, really important that they are there. Um, and so, you know, when you're talking about, you know, who you are as a person and you're trying to figure out your identity and you're trying to make sense of your culture, um, it doesn't have to be a united front. It doesn't 
you know, we need to move away from this idea of being whole. I think who we are is more just like little fragments of experiences and hard things and um, the mistakes that we've made and our real life experience and our fucker papa and all of these things. I think we are just, you know, the fragments of that. But it's really important to recognize that we're not just fragments. It's actually the choice. Um, the choice and the magic of who we are is how we choose to glue those fragments together and how we choose to hold those fragments um, and and to, to wear them. Um, but it's not about getting rid of the fragments and then making this whole new whole piece no 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 we are fragmented humans who choose how we we wear those fragments and and glue those fragments together um but i feel like it's something that we don't discuss enough um and i can tell that we don't discuss it enough because you know when people have gone through that you know people have figured out who they really want to be um i think we always as a society i mean we always like to remind people well um you know this is who you used to be there's no no we yeah we indirectly tell people that you know who they are now or who they choose to be doesn't match what they were before so then there's just no way that could happen and it's like well there's still that fragment of a person is still there um you know it's not like when we declare who we want to be it's like it's a we're wiping off the slate and we are a whole new person um but I think yeah when people do decide well this is actually who I am and who I want to be um we love to remind people who they used to be and and because they used to be like that, they can't be anything new. And it's like, well, yes, there's still that part of them that that was there, that is there. But how they choose to carry that and where that is different now. Um, but I think we're really caught up on being this whole united front and this whole united front. That that's all you can ever be, <laughs> which is, I think, really ridiculous. But you know, I hope this episode has given you lots of food for thought when we are talking about um, our identity and culture. And I hope these things, um, yeah, have helped you relook at some things. Because, you know, I always say on the show, and I think people just, not just on the show as well, I think whenever we talk about um, activism, whenever we talk about well, what's it, what is it like to be, um, an ally and how do we show up better people always always say well you need to know who you are first um, but I think if the small list um, of mine I hope that if we're able to relook at these things and reframe these things then it will lead to more productive safer and healthier conversations around our identity and culture because who we are or who we think we are um, and our culture really influence how we interact with the world and you know that funnels into how we look at others and show up for other people as well so um it's i think yeah really important when we are talking about identity to come at it at a deeper 
deeper level so we're not kind of stuck at that superficial level because you just can't get that momentum and that growth unless you go deep into it so kia ora thank you so much for listening and catch you for the next episode thank you for tuning in into another episode of headscarfs and good yarns to keep spinning the yarns let us know your thoughts you can find us on facebook and instagram at headscarfs and good yarns or email us at headscarfs and good yarn at gmail.com this podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from new zealand on the air